what I, what I realized just from reading, reading up on the subject was you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So I'm ready. I've, I've got, I've got the financial ability to retire now. So that's what I'm doing. I want to, um, have as much time as possible for me. And, um, I've got the money to support myself and my, my wife, current wife and for the next 30 years. And we're going to be fine. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 226. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Or should I say, what's going on in the metaverse? <laughs> I don't really know what's going on in that world, man. How much have you gone into that? I, I haven't, but I, I was looking at an article today. JP Morgan becomes the first bank to enter the metaverse with a virtual Onyx Lounge. And gosh, man, this this stuff's it's insane. It says with Decentraland, users can buy virtual plots of land in the form of NFTs and make purchases using cryptocurrency backed by the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum blockchain. So... Dude, it's crazy, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't completely totally understand. I mean, obviously, I understand like a digital world and whatnot, but you know, more and more companies seem to be getting involved. Much like, I guess, a year ago, we saw more and more companies getting some exposure to crypto to some degree. And you know, I don't, I don't know if this is just something you know Zuckerberg's put out there. Kind of reminds me of you know, I don't know if you played a game back in the day called The Sims. But it was kind of like that. Like you created your own like plot and all this kind of thing, characters, and who knows? I don't. I you know, you know, maybe yeah, we're gonna start. People are gonna really fully knows what's going on unless they're deep into the into the crypto and kind of the same with NFTs. We haven't talked about that much on the show, but you know, it is where it's amazing how digital everything's going and kind of interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that we. I've got a, a specific take or anything, but it is interesting. Like. You know, at some point, do we just start having meetings in this like virtual world? You know, we went from meeting in person and pandemic. Then it was like, well, let's meet through Zoom. And now it's like, let's go meet in this digital world and sit and have a, a coffee or something together. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It's uh, right, right. You know, it's interesting. But at any rate, JP Morgan's put their put their foot forward and has made a play in this space. So something to be something to be aware of, and maybe you know, watch and see what happens. So anyway, this week we have Lewis. He is a welder. His net worth is $1.4 million. He grew up in a blue-collar household and never went to college. He excelled with learning skills and trades. We talked to him about a little bit about his journey becoming a welder and going up through through the ranks there. I think this is probably the first, you know, I think he mentions he, he used to work, you know, some of these union jobs, but we have not had many guests on, one, that are of that age, but two, that, you know, where that was fairly common, you know, that was something that, you know, back in the seventies, eighties. And so li- listening to him, super interesting episode. Last week we had Nick, his net worth is 2.1 million. He had, he had a career in tech working for some of the major companies. Most of us know and probably use every week or even possibly every day. Just wanted to read a review real quick. This is Maddie at podcasting you. She says this podcast is such a great resource for anyone looking to improve their financial habits and level up their wealth building strategies. Clark and Jay's are very knowledgeable, and each episode is filled with great insights. Thank you for that, Maddie. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Lewis. Lewis, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? 
Yeah, sure thing. First, I'd like to say what an honor it is to be a guest on your show. I've learned so much from your interviews, and thank you guys for doing this. Um, A little bit about me. I grew up in a blue-collar household. Uh, I've always had summer jobs and after-school jobs. I graduated high school in the early 80s, never considered college. After high school, I worked, you know, labor-type jobs and learned skills by taking evening courses at the uh, County Votech School. I really enjoyed that type of training. I seemed to excel in that, so that was more for me. And in the mid-80s, I went to work at a major manufacturing company as a, as a welder. Uh, lucky for me, back in before 1990, you could still get a good blue-collar union job and pretty much be set for life. Uh, that was when pensions were common and workers stayed for, for the long term. So working for the same company for 30 to 40 years was normal. And uh, in the late 80s, I left a manufacturing job and went to work for a utility company. And for me at that time, that was like hitting the, the lottery. Once you start for a utility company, you know, you're set. And that was, that was it. So during that time, I had a defined, ben- a, a defined pension benefit plan. And after about 15 years, it was frozen and replaced with a defined contribution for a 1K plan. So the company went through some sales and some mergers, and they got away from the liability of the pension and went to the 401K. Uh, so then 20 years ago, I honestly didn't understand what any of that meant. But luckily, I was already in the habit of paying myself first. And that's how I was able to be a guest on your podcast today. So in a nutshell, with a single income blue collar career, I supported a family, lived life and was not frugal. Um, I have no rental or any other income. And I was still divorced midstream and uh, still still made it. So that's that's me. No, that's awesome. And we're going to get into to some of these details of what you shared here. But what's your net worth today? Uh, if you include the value of my house, um, just under 1.5. But no, I, the mortgage is the only debt I, I have. I don't have any other debt except for the mortgage. Awesome. And let's break down the, the value of all the assets you have, including the, the home there. Okay. Yeah, the house, it's worth around 300000 I've got, I've, I've had multiple 401ks over my career, you know, with different companies coming in and, 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 and whatever. So my, my current 401k is worth about 465,000. The breakdown of, of, of that 465,000 is about 250,000 in guaranteed income fund, about 100,000 in large cap fund, about 45,000 in mid cap fund, and about 35,000 in small cap fund. I've got a frozen pension worth about a, Hundred and forty-eight thousand. I've got some uh, money market cash reserve worth about twenty-five thousand. Um, I opened a, a Vanguard Roth IRA just last year. I've got sixty-five hundred in that, and that's BTSAX. Uh, I've got an HSA at uh, twenty-five hundred with an investment option, and that one I have invested in BIT or BIGIX. Uh, I've got a a Lincoln Financial fixed annuity that's worth three hundred twenty-one thousand. Got another fixed annuity worth one hundred sixteen thousand. I've got um, credit union, you know, savings accounts and, and other stuff. You know, about thirty thousand just in cash on hand, no debt, and paid for vehicles. So that's my breakdown. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. You got quite quite the gamut. We'll take a dive into this, but real quick, I think one thing that hasn't come up on our show, Clark, is. Uh, 
the frozen pension. Will you just go into that a little bit and how you've acquired that and what that actually means for our listeners? Yeah, that's actually, it's it's pretty common. Probably want to go back maybe 10, 15, 20 years is when that started. You had you know companies buying up other companies and they didn't want to have that liability going forward. So the pensions were just frozen for, say, anybody under the age of 40. And then if you were over the age of 40, you kept the pension and the new company had to assume the liability and start another pension to, to match it. So in my situation at that time, I happened to be under the, the cutoff of, of, of age 40. So my pension was frozen. And then what took the place of that was an enhanced 401k, which had, uh, you know, a match of 10 to 14% company match where as the guys that still kept their pensions, they didn't get that match. So that's pretty common today. So when will you have access to that? Actually, when I turned 55, which was last year, I actually could have started drawing drawing from that. So with without the uh, early penalties. Yeah. So totally. as soon as you turn 55, you can start drawing from the, from that pension. And can you take a lump sum out of it at all? No, no, you can't. It's just like a annuity. So and you'll have that for the rest of your life, or how long? Yep, rest of my life. That's pretty awesome. So, Lewis, I want to get into the to the story here. But first, before we do, how did your portfolio come to, to be about? I know you kind of mentioned a, a few things in, in your opening there about how you grew up and, and you know, your mindset going forward and investing and, and whatnot. But just for our listeners, maybe give some context around, you know, how this portfolio started to get constructed and, and how it's evolved over time. Uh, that's a really good question. I've always just had savings as far as 401ks. That's that's been my my primary savings mechanism, and that's always done before taxes because it, you know when I started there really was no such thing as a, as a Roth. That was that didn't come along until later. So just a traditional 401k, and I always took out before before tax. I always was of the pay myself first mindset. So. I always put in or took out enough just to get the company match. And whenever I would get a raise through, you know, through union contracts every, every year, if you're lucky, you get, you know, a 3% raise or whatever. I would bump that amount up by 3% until I was, you know, 10% or 15% of my, of my savings. So that was how I started. And then after a couple of different company mergers and being sold, you know, you started working for a, you put on a new new hard hat every couple of years, and with every one of those sales, you were also having a new 401k administrator, starting a new 401k right up, you know, right from scratch. Your matches, you know, remained the same, but you were still starting a new 401k. So then it kind of had these other 401ks just kind of hanging out there. When I got, I don't want to say probably about late 40s or 50 or so, I you know saw a financial advisor just to find out what I should do with these. Should I roll them in with my current 401k or you know what and and what we decided was um just to play it safe and buy some annuities which will act as as pensions you know for the for the long term and i i have no no fear of them ever losing money they're always gonna they're always gonna be there for me and i'll be able to collect them you know a monthly or whatever income off of these annuities and then the 401k that i've had i hope by the end of the year you know that should be five hundred thousand or or more that'll be you know, just icing on top of the cake as far as, as, as what I need after I retire. 
Okay, this episode is sponsored by Loan Steady. As regular listeners know, we love companies that can improve your financial well-being. We vet sponsors carefully to make sure that they can deliver a great experience to our listeners. So if you're in the market for a home loan or interested perhaps in refinancing or would like to take cash out for a special project or home improvements, especially before rates potentially rise this year, check out Loan Steady. They have 355 star Google reviews, so customers leave happy. They have a special offer for listeners of Millionaires Unveiled. Before April 1, go to www.loansteady.com slash millionaire and apply. And Loan Steady will leave, will waive all lender fees, including application and processing fees. Important terms and conditions apply. For more licensing, please visit www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is Loan Steady LLC, NMLS number 1701910 equal housing lender. So get a rate today and see how Loan Loan Steady can help you reach your financial goals. And how much will that, you guys talked about the pension, how much will that pay out annually? The pension should be about 600 a month. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Lewis, let's, let's take it back here a little bit. I know there's a, there's a ton here in your allocation I want to get on, including some of these annuities that you have. I I don't think we've talked about that much on the show, but primarily for your career, you worked as a welder, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah, so so let's just go back. I mean, I, I know you shared with us a little bit before the show that you, you, you told us you barely graduated high school, right? You had to go back and take some summer school classes. You didn't go to college, and then you started working in the trades right away. So let's just get your story because I think it's an inspiring story and very interesting and one that we haven't had before. So just tell us your story here. Who was Lewis? Yeah, I, I, I was not a fan of school. I just, you know, it just wasn't for me. Um, I think starting out... In the early seventies, there was an, ex- an experiment as far as teaching kids to read. I forget what it was called. It was called like AIE or something like that. And it was just, you know, just spell words, however you think that they sound and, and, and reading, you know, it was just a whole different way of teaching kids to read. So I remember going through that process, like in first, second, third grade. And then it seems like the company or the company, the, um, the school district just abandoned that that whole thought or that whole that whole that whole way of teaching and went back to the traditional way of teaching and I don't remember ever being reset and I think I struggled you know from the very beginning and I just always felt like I was behind and I just I just never really caught up and then um you know later on I would rather just you know work and make make some money than than go to school so now uh, there were days you know, it was kind of tough making it to school, <laughs> but yeah, I ended up graduating and, uh, it, it all, it all worked out. So when you first started working, what was your income? You shared this chart with us. I know what it is now and how it's grown through the years, but as you first started working, how much did you make? Yeah. When I first started working, you know, we're talking, you know, in the early eighties, 6,000 a year, but you know, I was still living at, at home for a while. And then I, when I, when I was out on my own, probably I started out on my own. I was probably making ten thousand a year, and that was a. I bought my first house, and between making ten and fifteen thousand a year, I had moved out, bought my own house, and you know started to live life. So how how did you become a welder? I know you had some experience at working in other trades, but how did you how did you settle on that? Uh, well, the town that I grew up in was was heavy in man, manufacturing, and there were. A lot of jobs that required welding, so I just knew that if you if you learn how to weld, you could pretty much get a job anywhere. So I ended up 
you know, taking some cunning classes, uh, got a job and it was a really good job. It's, it's, it's actually still there today. I could, I could still be working that job today, but I took another job, a better job at a utility company, which for the long term, I felt it was a, a, a good move. You know, this, just the experience of getting the training, you know, in the trades, learning how to weld, getting a job to gain the experience and then just bettering myself with a, a better job. It's just worked out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. And you mentioned to us, you got your first W2 job at age 15. You've worked ever mm-hmm. since and you still have every single pay stub. Is that true? Yeah. That's kind of, kind of freakish. Yep. <laughs> still <good. laughs> yeah. Don't, don't ask me why, but it's, you know, I, I still got them and it's, I can't get rid of them now. <laughs> so, so then you worked and I mean, one thing I, well, there's several things I want to hit on, but let me just get through a couple of your bullet points. You said you got divorced in your mid forties. And then in the last 10 years, you really started beefing up your retirement account. And in the last year, you said, I've learned my consumer ways. What do you mean by that? Well, I figured out that what, you know, good debt versus, you know, bad debt, like getting loans for new cars, you know, the minute you drive them off the, off the lot, they've lost what, I don't know what the number is, probably like 30%. But if you buy a house, more than likely, it's going to continue to to grow in value. So I've come to the mindset of I'm not going to buy anything, especially a new car or, or, or anything that's unless I'm going to spend cash that's going to lose value. If I'm going to get a loan for something, it's going to be a mortgage type of a loan. And it's going to going to gain. But um, if I'm going to buy a car, it's going to be used and it's going to and I'm going to pay cash for it. If I'm going to buy you know anything else, a, a camper or a you know, a toy. It's not going to be new. It's going to be used and I'm going to be cash. Yeah. And, and then you, you mentioned something that I agree with. You said, I believe we are programmed by society or ads to be consumers and not savers necessarily. Right. I agree that. Yeah. I don't know where I read that at. I read that someplace and it's, it was like a, a light bulb moment. It seems like, okay, that's kind of how you're programmed from, you know, from watching I don't know, cartoons and, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, just, it seems like, that's what society is programming us to be, just to buy. And then, you know, credit is 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 evil as well. And it's just it's just a big snowball effect. Right. Right. I mean it's the quote you, you shared with us and we've we've talked about before, don't buy things with money you don't have to impress people you don't know or, or people you don't like <laughs> necessarily, yeah. right? I mean, that's kind of the trap of it all. Did, did you feel like you were a big spender? I mean, it's pretty amazing. You still have a net worth of 1.5, but did you feel like you were in that consumerism trap a little bit? I'd say I probably was. Like probably in my 30s. Yeah, you know, you know, if you want a new dirt bike or a new, you know, something like that, you just went to the dealership and they were more than willing to give you their uh, whatever Yama loan or whatever whatever they were they were calling them at the time. But it was easy. They made it easy for you to buy new stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would say in my 30s, I was definitely stuck in that trap. So your mid fifties now you shared. What was your net worth at forty? It's a good question. I'm not sure if I would if I would even be willing to take a guess at that because I just after you know kind of figuring out where I'm at today and planning on retiring and, and things like that is when I first started really paying attention to net worth and actually diving into what it means and how to figure it out. So back then, uh, probably when I was forty. You know, I had a mortgage, had, uh, you know, new, two new vehicles, uh, probably some new other stuff. I was, I was probably underwater. I probably was a, had a, uh, a, a negative 
net worth in my 40s. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I know you contributed to your 401k throughout all the time you were working, but it seems like you got really aggressive. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you got really aggressive with this in the last 10, 15 years ish. Exactly. Yeah. Um, once I discovered, <laughs> I never really knew what the, that, that there was a limit that you could only put so much into your 401k through, you know, an IRS limit. So once I discovered that, then I just started macking it out. So just going back to your career here, how many how many different companies, I know you had the job switch now to the utility company, you said, but how many different companies have you worked for in your career? Mm, as far as real jobs, you know, real jobs, I'm considering, you know, 40-hour full-time jobs. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, the job I, I have now is still the same job. It's just been different owners. So it's still the same the same place that you report to work, but it's just a different sign out front. And that's, you know, going back to the, to the, to the late 80s before. So that's one. I probably had four, four real family sustaining jobs. Yeah, because different, different employers. Yeah, no, I just asked because you said <clears throat> you wrote to us. Luckily for me, before 1990, you could get a good blue collar union job and be set for life. That was when pensions were a common benefit and workers stayed for the long term. So working at the same company for 30 to 40 years was the norm. That is not so common today, which is true, right? Loyalty to an employer, if you want to call it that, is totally different than it was, you know, years and years ago. So why is that? What's your take? That's a good question. I mean, I've I've actually seen that since they don't have pensions anymore where I'm at, 401ks are reportable. So with with a pension, you had to stay there and work for that employer until 55 to be qualified to take your full pension. If not, if you left before 55, then you had to, you had to wait until, until 64 or whenever the, whenever it was, it was mature before you could start collecting the full pension. So, you know, with the, with the pensions being more scarce and 401ks being the main savings for retirement, um, they're portable and you just, kind of you know you just work for the anyway anybody you want to who's who's going to offer you a match so there's no um there's no um employer loyalty really yeah no that's a it's a good point and i think we're seeing that even more with with this millennial generation i think clark correct me if i'm wrong but i think the average time in a company is like two to three years you know so in terms of you know creating that loyalty you're creating that you know desire or trying to make it so that like you mentioned you know, if you're going to collect that pension, you're basically going to stay there for all those years. And, you know, I think a lot of those became extremely popular with the manufacturing that took off in the United States, you know, at the at the beginning of the 19th century and then going into the mid 19th century. And a lot of those pensions, other than in government jobs at this point, are, are kind of a thing of the past in a lot of ways. That's definitely the, the case. Pensions are, they're not as common as they were. 20 or 30 years ago. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. So Lewis, as you've navigated, you know, this, this journey that you've been on, you mentioned that, that you had a divorce in the middle. What did that do to your mindset and your finances, you know, in the, in the middle of your career? Yeah. It's just, you know, everything that you had worked for and saved for just gets split in half. So in a way it was kind of like hitting the reset button to where you just start from scratch is basically what I did. I, you know, got rid of everything, sold everything and just started over. Still had, I don't know, maybe two to 300,000 in a 401k in my mid forties. That's where I was starting at. 
here I am today with over over a million. So it worked out. Really? I mean, you've done this, call it in a decade, basically? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty remarkable. I mean, it definitely gives hope to those who either get a late start or have a situation like you where you can go through a, a divorce or some sort of you know, catastrophe related to finances, even if you go down to, you know, call it a hundred, 200, 300 grand from being, you know, at the top of four, there's still time to, to get back there and get back on your feet. And basically I think Clark, we've seen this, it, it, you know, a lot of this really can be done in getting to millionaire status or financial independence in, in a decade, if you're really focused, would you agree with that, Lewis? It seems to work for me. Um, probably. Yeah. So, let me look at my papers here. So depending on income, too, I would add, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the IRS limits, like right now, they're at uh, 26000 if you're over 50. So look, look, looking back, I've maxed out my IRS limit going back to 2006. And that's what worked for me, just maxing out that, that IRS limit and you know, okay. putting into my 401k. But one of the mistakes that I made... I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but anyways, I was more concerned with just getting that money in the market as soon as possible. So, you know, I'd put 20, 25% out of my check just to get it into the 401k as soon as possible. And so then I was usually maxing out my IRS limit, you know, in, in September or something, which then and from September, you know, through, through December, I wasn't contributing and I wasn't getting the, you know, the, the company matches either. So I was missing out on that. So yeah. I figured out, you know, a few years ago that you got to kind of pace it out so that you hit that, you know, that IRS limit, you know, right at the end of the year. So that you're getting every little bit of company match that you can, especially when your match is, you know, you know, six to 10% or whatever. That's, that's huge. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of people sometimes overlook that either one, they don't know that their company doesn't continue the match when they max that out, or they just forget to, you know, some companies do have true ups in their programs. Uh, you know, if they'll go through a 401k audit or whatever, they'll go through and, and make sure that, you know, some of those that did max out early in the year are still trued up, but sometimes they don't. Depends on how the, the plan documents are written. So, Greg, good, good, good pointing that out and good that you learned that for, for yourself and your company. So, Lewis, I want to talk a little bit about the transition that you're making now. You've gotten to a point in your life where you're, you're looking at retirement. What does that transition look like for you? How have you kind of come to terms with moving on, you know, from the career that you've known for all these years? And and with that, retiring at one five, what does it look like for you financially for, you know, say the next 30 or 40 years, which presumably you could very well live that long? Yeah, I'm not concerned whatsoever as far as running out of money. Uh, what I, what I realized just from reading, reading up on the subject was you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So I, I'm ready. I've, I've got, I've got the financial ability to retire now. So that's what I'm doing. I want to, um, have as much time as possible for me. And, um, I've got the money to support myself and my, my wife, current wife in, in, for the next 30 years. And we're going to be fine. What do you plan on doing with your time as you move into retirement? Uh, everything that I didn't have time to do before. <laughs> I mean, a lot of a lot of things that we do are, uh, you know, like for instance, if you're going to run a, a marathon, you know, it's there's a lot of training and time and 
that you got to put into running a marathon. So there's, you know, things like that that you just don't have time to do when you're actually working. And I've got a few passions that I'm, that I'm ready to move on and just, just uh, enjoy myself. Was it a number that you were really seeking to get to, you know, or an income level that you felt you could live on in retirement or is it just kind of felt like it's the time to, to, to move on to that at your age? To be honest with you, I didn't even know that I reached millionaire status until maybe a, a year ago. I just you know, started doing my, my net net worth and thought, wow, <laughs> I'm already there. I missed, uh, I missed the uh, celebration. So I just, I never thought I was close until I actually got the numbers and started, started, to uh, research it. And, you know, I just never pay attention. I would just, you know, set it and forget it mentality. And I just figured, you know, 55, I'm probably going to work until I'm 60. But once I did the research and, and realized what the heck, I'm already there. And then I, you know, why do I want to continue to work when I don't have to is, is what I, is what my next thought was. And then how once much you, did you think how about, much did you think you had? I would thought of, I probably thought it was around 700,000. Wow. So you're double that. Yeah. Wow. Do you plan on paying off your house before you retire? Uh, that's a question you ask a lot, and I, I'm with the majority. No, I don't. You know, the mortgage is, is at three um, percent. I can easily afford making the payment, so I'm gonna just continue to have that mortgage payment. And I also like the idea of, as far as an emergency fund goes, you know, you, you can always use your your home equity for you know, a, a really bad emergency fund if you, if you ever needed it. So that, that may be one of my other strategies too. Yeah. How much do you plan on living on it during retirement? Um, 6,000 a month is what I've got myself. I've, I've actually got myself budgeted to live on 25, 100 to 3,000 a month. So between five and 6,000 is, is what my, what my, my game plan is. And, and what do you plan to do for healthcare as you move into this next phase? Well, I've heard some you know, watching the news, there's the possibility of Medicare being lowered to age 60, which would be pretty awesome. But, uh, you know, I just buy a high deductible plan. One of the things that I'm really focused on is, is staying, staying healthy. So, you know, I, I do a lot of running and I keep myself in shape. So a high deductible plan should be okay for me. Good for you. Let me just jump back here a little bit to your career. Um, but this ties in because Jace was asking about retirement. So let me just read first a blurb that, that you wrote to us. You said, just an interesting observation I've realized from listening to your interviews. Guys with my similar background are not thinking about fire, financial independence, retire early. I think it is because when a blue collar guy punches out for the day, he does not think about work until 7 a.m. the next workday. It seems a lot of fire people are tech, high pressure, demanding type jobs where they can dis where they cannot disconnect and their workday never ends. The labor force does not have that distraction when they leave the plant. From 3.30 p.m. until bedtime, they are free to do whatever they want. Mentally, that is a huge difference. I was speaking from experience. In 2009, I left the shop floor for a position in the union where I cannot disconnect from my job. When I worked at that plant, as soon as I walked out of the gate, I never thought of work until the next day at 7 a.m. Now I think about work even when I take vacation. So as I read that, I mean, first of all, it's an interesting take and I appreciate you sharing it. But as I read that, my question to you then is, which one do you prefer? And as you look back on your career, are you happy that you could clock out at 3.30 and be done? Or did you, are you happy with this new job where you, I mean, obviously you say you're thinking about it on vacation. Nobody's happy about doing that, but are there other benefits that come with that? 
or what's your thought on how you manage your career? I guess you didn't realize it until you don't have it, I guess is, is a good way of putting that. When you clock out every day, I think you, it's easier to be in the moment. Whereas when you always, when we have a, a, a demanding job, where you're always on call and you're always, you know, looking at text messages where you can't, you know, especially today, you can't disconnect anymore. There's always that distraction in the back of your mind. You're, you're never fully in the moment. Whereas before I, I'm talking, I grew up before when you had to get up and actually change the stations on the TV, there wasn't even a remote. So, so being, you know, <laughs> seeing, seeing f- firsthand the progression from, you know, from, from that to having, you know, a cell phone on you and never being able to disconnect. It's, yeah, that's, it, it's been quite, quite the transition. And I didn't realize what I had when I had it. When, you know, when you clock out, if you wanted to go someplace after work with do whatever, you weren't even thinking about work. You were just doing what you wanted to do. There was absolutely no distractions. Now, now that's not the case. There's, it's, you're constantly distracted. You guys probably have the same thing. Yeah. But so, so then I would ask, did the income, did your income increase and was that was that worth it or no yeah and, and the way that i look at look at that is if i was still at the plant you know working double shifts my income would increase as well and and that's that's how i justify that i'm always working so my income has increased for that reason so as you talk about as you look back on your career i mean it's just been a little bit short of 40, 40 years, give or take, right? If you started at 18. So what's been your range of, of household income as much as you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, if we go back to, you know, 1980, you know, working summer jobs and, you know, as a janitor and things like that. And then in 1990, you know, as a, as a, as a welder, you know, that 1980, $725, 1990, $31,000, um, Continue, you know, still a welder, $76,000, 2010, $80,000, and 2020, about 150000 Wow. Amazing. I mean, in the last 10 years, you've doubled. Yeah. Wow. So, Lewis, I mean, we, we talked a lot here. Let me just jump to the allocation real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into mistakes and, and final words of advice. These annuity products you have, mm-hmm. how much do they pay you a year? What's your return on those? Well, it depends when you when you take them. I don't know much about them. I, I, I'm mostly going off the guides of my of my financial advisor. So I'll probably collect about between the two that I have. I think I'm I'm going to be getting two two thousand a month paid back to me. I gotta double check that. Okay, no, I'm just curious because yeah, we haven't talked about that too much because it seems like let's just see, sum it up here real quick: three twenty, one sixteen. What is that? About five hundred thousand annuities. Yeah, the one the one annuity from Lincoln Financial that's going to pay me about fourteen hundred a month, and the other one is going to pay me about a hundred, uh, right around one hundred and fifty a month. Okay, so you have over two thousand then in in fixed income if you count the six hundred dollars from your pension as well. Right, so, I can cover all 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 of I can cover all of my expenses with just my my fixed income, which is the annuities and the pension. So let me wrap up here, Lewis, with some rapid fire questions, and then we'll we'll get into some last words of advice. So, what's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Oh, I probably bought a truck for thirty thousand dollars. 
30000 for a new truck, yeah. Okay, what about the most expensive meal out that you've paid for personally? Oh, uh, I've bought for you know my kids and family, and that is probably between two and 300 Okay, what item or experiences are worth spending more money on, and what's not worth the money? Experiences are definitely worth the money. Um, a lot of times, if I'm buying items, I prefer to buy quality so that I know it's going to last rather than buying something twice. So, you know, I don't like a guitar, you know, I'd rather buy it. I'd rather spend the extra money and get something, get, get, get some quality. What's not anything that's going to depreciate like a, a new car, you know, new, new toys. You got to, you got to get off that habit. Yep. Uh, annual household spending. How much do you spend? About 35,000. And that includes the mortgage payment. Okay. Uh, any books you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. The books I would recommend is, um, I've talked my list here. Okay. Yeah. The books, the books I would recommend is one, one I got the most out of was by Fritz Gilbert. It's a book called the keys to a successful retirement. That was like a, a light bulb moment by, you know, reading, reading Fritz's book that what I would definitely recommend. Okay. Keys to successful retirement you mentioned. So let's just go into general overall advice here. I know you've shared a lot during this hour and I know you did use a financial planner. I'll just throw that in there because we didn't quite get enough time to talk into that, but just general advice or couple that with mistakes. If somebody's looking at this and, and you know, they work in a trade, maybe they're a welder or plumber, electrician, whatever, what would your advice be to them? I mean, it's an amazing story. You have a net worth of 1.5. It seems like a lot of it came from consistently contributing to your 401k and retirement accounts. What's your advice here? Yeah, you're exactly right. You, if you're, if you use the, the pay yourself first concept, uh, I mean, I've only ever had one income. I didn't have any other rental properties or anything. And, you know, it worked out. And you can have a really good career if you get into the trades. The trades are, are are always looking for for people to sign up for their apprenticeships. So if you're somebody getting out of school and a college isn't for you, office life isn't for you, look up the, uh, the union trades. There's a, a good living there. Awesome. Any big mistakes? Mostly just that one about uh, not putting spacing out your 401k contribution until the end of the year. That and, you know, I've, I've probably bought three or four new vehicles in my life. Looking back, you know, it still worked out. I enjoyed having them, but it probably wasn't the best financial move. That was probably could be chalked up as a mistake. What was your motivator, Lewis, as you were working? I mean, and what was it 25 years ago and what is it now? What's your deep oh, motivation always, here? Yeah, it's always been, uh, you know, let's, 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 let's buy a, a new dirt bike or buy a new car or buy something else. You know, that's, that's, that was always the, the motivation. And now Shiny what? Objects. It's time. And now it's time <laughs> and freedom. Yeah. Now, yeah. The motivation now is, uh, okay. All of a sudden I realize I made it and, um, I can always save more money or, or make more money, but I can't save or make more time. So now the, the focus is definitely on, on time and just spending the rest of my life the way I want to spend it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. Again, everybody, that's Lewis. Net worth about 1.5, including the house. Thanks thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.